After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee. He did not want to travel in Judea, because the Jewish authorities there were wanting to kill him. The time for the festival of shelters was near, so Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave this place and go to Judea, so that your followers will see the things that you are doing. People don't hide what they're doing if they want to be well known. Since you are doing these things, let the whole world know about you. Not even his brothers believed in him. The right time for me has not yet come. Any time is right for you. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I keep telling it that its ways are bad. You go on to the festival. I am not going to this festival, because the right time has not come for me. He said this, and then stayed on in Galilee. After his brothers had gone to the festival, Jesus also went. However, he did not go openly, but secretly. The Jewish authorities were looking for him at the festival. Where is he? they asked. There was much whispering about him in the crowd. He is a good man, some people said. No, others said. He fools the people. But no one talked about him openly because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. The festival was nearly half over when Jesus went to the temple and began teaching. John chapter 7 occurs during the festival of tabernacles or booths or shelters. The Jewish calendar biblically has three major festival seasons. One is the Passover festival which is a celebration of the night the angel came through the land of Egypt and judged everyone in the land of Egypt that did not have the blood of the lamb applied to the doorposts of their home. And it broke the hearts of the Egyptians, and they finally, after so many plagues and changing their mind, finally let them go free from slavery. So Passover is an annual event to this day in Jewish culture where they celebrate the deliverance from slavery. Fifty days later, Moses was given the law. And they celebrate that through the festival of Pentecost. We call that the birthday of the church, when God, by his spirit, initiated the church and began writing his law, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of our hearts. Most Christians are familiar with those two Jewish festivals. The third one, not so much, because... I believe we're waiting on its ultimate fulfillment, although we're living in it as well. It is a celebration of their coming into the land and establishing permanent homes. But to remember that, they for eight days would live in tents and shelters outside their homes. Women and children weren't required to do this, and they do it to this day. They'll go up on their roof and build a little shack or a little brush arbor and live there for a week. And so it's a way of remembering the great things God did for them as well as their history, as well as building up an attitude of thankfulness in their heart for the permanent home in which he's given us. John chapter 7, verse 1, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, but he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Israel primarily was under the rule and reign of the Roman government, who divided it into two regions, the region of Judea and the region of Galilee. Judea surrounds Jerusalem. Galilee surrounds the Sea of Galilee, basically. 
And so politically they were divided and spiritually they were divided. The more rabbinical-minded people were in Judea. The less educated folks were in Galilee. And guess where Christ was most welcome? Anytime he went into Judea, man, they wanted to kill him. And he knew ultimately that would happen, but he didn't want it to be before his time. So verse 2, Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, now these are his brothers, Mary had at least six other children after him. Matthew chapter 1 ends with the story of Mary gave birth to Jesus and Joseph did not know her until Jesus was born. And so he biblically knew her afterwards. The perpetual virginity of Mary it doesn't make any sense to me. It's a belief that sex is evil within marriage. That's not right. It's wrong. Sex is a beautiful thing within marriage. Outside of marriage, it can cause all kinds of problems, but that's not my subject today. His brothers, he had at least four brothers, James, Jude, Joseph, and Simon. They said to him, depart from here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. I gather there's a little sarcasm here. Verse 4, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, Show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. So they're giving him a little PR advice. Hey, it's time to go public here. If you really can do all these things, what are you afraid of, basically? They're taunting him. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. In other words, you guys aren't living under the gun like I am. Verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Today, we're journeying, taking another step through the Gospel of John that we're entitling Jesus Is. And today's subject, you're going to hate this, is Jesus is, it's true, all of our titles thus far has been about some glorious aspect of his nature, wonderful characteristics that he had, but this is a fact about him. Jesus is hated. Can we say that? He was hated in his day, and he's hated in our day. But I don't want to get ahead of myself, so let's read on. Verse 10, when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And if you're Jewish and you live anywhere close like they did, you needed to go to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. All right, where is he at? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. So some people loved him, and some people hated him. Does that sound familiar? I hear a lot of Christians whining that we're being persecuted now. What's new? Go to Sudan. You get a taste of some real persecution. The world has either loved him or hated him. There's no lukewarm approach to Jesus. There appears to be one where, oh, he was a good man, but 
In reality, they don't believe that because they don't believe what he said. If he's just a good man and he said the things he said, then he's a liar. All right. No one spoke openly of him, verse 13, for fear of the Jews. But about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. So the feast is eight days long. So day four or day five, he goes into the temple and starts teaching. He, he becomes public. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Now, how did they know he didn't study? Because he's not quoting the rabbis. He's quoting the word. And he's proclaiming truth. Jesus answered them and said, verse 16, My doctrine, or my teaching, is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine or the teaching whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Basically what he's saying, anyone who wants to do God's will will know that I'm telling the truth. The fact you're disagreeing with me is because you don't want to do the truth that Jesus proclaims requires humility for it to be received. Verse 18, He who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. If Jesus was in a popularity contest, he could use a little help, couldn't he? He's not tickling the ears of his hearers. He's not making things pleasant. The world is a place of peer pressure, political pressure, political correctness. And in coming days, and you've already been reading that it's time for the church to wake up and accept homosexual marriage. It's time for the church to wake up and stop proclaiming things as being sinful. The world got all excited about the Pope saying something kind about someone struggling with homosexuality. Got all excited about it. If the church it becomes silent for the sake of popularity, the church ceases to be the church. You may not be a fan of the Environmental Protection Agency, but if the Environmental Protection Agency existed to make everybody feel good and not worry about our environment, why does it exist? Has anybody been to L.A.? Anybody seen the smog or, or breathed it? I was there in the 70s. I haven't been there lately. Might be better now. You may not agree with their, their practices, but we need them. They may be going to some extreme in some areas I'm not sure about. They exist to stand for health. The church exists to stand for the Word of God. And if we back off of it, we cease to be who we are. Well, we're not supposed to be hated. Oh, really? That's not what he said. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. In another place he said, if the world hates me, he's going to hate you. Verse 19, did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Now, the people he's speaking to are champions of the Old Testament law, but in reality they weren't. They had added to the law steps of obedience. Rest on the Sabbath, 
don't walk past a certain mile, and then we'll know that you're resting on the Sabbath. And they call that keeping the law, but that was keeping the laws of man. And in reality, in their hearts, they wanted to kill Jesus, and the law forbids murder. So he confronts them. And what do they do? They now lie, which is another violation of the law. Verse 20, the people answered and said, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. All this ruckus is about what happened in John chapter 5. Jesus went to a pool surrounded by sick people on the Sabbath day and just healed one person who'd been sick, invalid basically, for 38 years. And they're all up in the arms about that one guy. I guess that guy is still pretty well running around healthy. Otherwise, they would have used, you know, a healing that didn't last to discredit the ministry of Jesus. So it was in their face. It was undeniable. 38 years of being sick. So he was known in this city as being a sick man. And Jesus dares to heal him on the Sabbath day. I did one work, and you all marvel. Verse 22. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision... Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. The rite of circumcision, according to the law, was to be instituted on the eighth day of a male child's life. I understand medically that's an ideal day because the blood clotting agents in the blood, I think vitamin K, somehow related to prothrombin, is highest, maybe 10% higher on the eighth day of a male child's life. And so that's the ideal time to circumcise a male baby. So if a baby was born on the Sabbath, they count time on the day it starts. That baby is a day old on the day it's born. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Guess what the circumcision day is for a baby born on the Sabbath? The Sabbath. And God forbid that a woman should be in labor on the Sabbath. What is God thinking? So he's confronting them. You guys are wounding babies on the Sabbath day. Can I make a man well on the Sabbath day? If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. In other words, let's think. Let's not be morons. Well, this, this really ticks them off. Verse 25, Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? All right, so the truth is coming out. But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? Now pride is getting riled up. Any time in our spiritual walk, we've got to watch out for our pride. They can't let this stand. Otherwise, their inactivity would be looked to as approval, and this hurts their pride. However, we know where this man is from, but when Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. 
speaking to the Galileans in the crowd, you know where I'm from. But that's not really where I'm from. <laughs> I'm from him who sent me. Pastor Sheikh, welcome to the land of homeowners. But that's not really your home. If you own a house, if you rent a house, it's not really your home. It's your temporary residence. It's your tabernacle, as it were, because we've got a place to look forward to in heaven that will make the places we're living in now look like tents. Sure. Verse 30, Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. God was preventing him. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes... Will he do more size than these, which this man has done? Surely this guy's the Messiah. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and chief priests sent officers to take him. All right, he's gone too far. Let's arrest him. And so they had temple guards that they used to arrest him. And then Jesus slowed them down. He's so clever. Verse 33, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. For some reason, this stopped them short. Okay, he's just going to be here a little while longer. Okay. The guards didn't know how to handle this guy. Then the Jews among themselves said, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. We know he was speaking of going back to the Father, but there would be a crucifixion first. So there's much dissension and division amongst them about him. There's much hatred because he exposes their hypocrisy. He violates their man-made rules and gets away with it. He slows down their efforts to arrest him by saying things like, I'm just here a little while more. And declares himself to be the great I am. Now, now, in this law of circumcision, they justified circumcising a child on the Sabbath day because circumcision was instituted before the law ever came. Abraham received it as a sign of the covenant he had from God centuries earlier. Superseding or preeminent over the law is the covenant God had with Abraham. That's the covenant we're drafted into. Now, we no longer practice circumcision as a sign of our covenant, but we practice water baptism. A whole lot less painful. All the men said, Amen. Christ is preeminent. He preexisted the law. He supersedes the law. And He came and fulfilled the law. Are you glad about it? So in the midst of all this hatred, all this ruckus, Him escaping, being arrested, and all this... He still shows love by giving a promise that I love. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I ask you, Lord, to help us to remember
what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is hated. Can we say that? Jesus is hated. He was not believed in by his brothers, and even his disciples weren't fully converted yet. At his darkest hour, most of them abandoned him. And one who proclaimed to be the most committed wound up cussing to try to show that he wasn't one of his followers. And yet he just continued in that season to show love. The stone that was rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And we will rejoice and be glad because this is the day of salvation. Christ was hated by his enemies. Yeah, duh, he was. He wasn't always loved by his friends. He confronted all with truth and love. Truth and love. We live in a world that's all about love, man. We want to focus on God's love, but let's leave that truth thing alone. Let's, let's kind of move it around. And then, and then hyper-pharisaical folks are all about truth, but not so much about love. And so they picket funerals with stupid signs like God hates fags. Pharisees. They don't know Jesus. And in reality, they hate Jesus because he tells us to love. He forgave people their sins. That's love. And then he gave them the truth, go and sin no more. If you're about to run across the street and I say, be careful, is that really love? The truth is, stop if you care. Number four, the real Jesus is still hated in our world today. You can pray publicly and the world will applaud you, but don't say, in the name of Jesus. That might offend someone. You can call on Allah and bow before Buddha and honor the millions of Hindu gods, but the name of Jesus is an offense. Why? Because it's always been that way. He's hated. Do we condemn the world for it? No. We use it as a as a backdrop against love. Backup was love. If you had a diamond and you wanted to show it off, what background would you give to that diamond? Something the opposite color, something that did not reflect, something the opposite color, and something opaque that didn't allow light through it to show that diamond. The atmosphere of hatred, I'm telling you, is the most beautiful thing for displaying God's love. For those of you who are being harassed for being a believer, don't become like the world. But demonstrate God's love in practical ways, however He enables you to do it. Somebody in that gang is thirsty for more of life that the things they've been drinking aren't satisfying. And in that midst of people that hated Jesus, needed to hear the promise, come unto me and drink. Christ quenches the thirst of true believers. Do we deserve it? No. The world should have melted by now. That God in His mercy is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He quenches our spiritual thirst. Here's the promise he gave against the backdrop of doubt and hatred. 
unbelieving brothers and hating enemies, both past and present, even to today, his promise still holds true for all. If anyone thirsts, John 7:37, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, or booths or shelters, however you want to call it, Rosh Hashanah, happens around September. And for eight days, over 400 priests every day would go to the Pool of Siloam and get water and walk the trek from Siloam to the temple and pour the water out in a ceremony at the base of the altar. And they would read the prophecy about the river in Ezekiel 47, and they would read a passage we're going to look at in a moment from Zechariah. Christ is the fulfillment of both of those passages. While they're remembering their trek through the wilderness, their forefathers' trek through the wilderness, they ate manna and they drank water from a rock. Christ is that rock. Look at this verse they read from Zechariah 14, verses 8 through 9. In that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. Can we say around the world? In both summer and winter it shall occur. Can we say year-round? Internationally, globally, in time and space, from Jerusalem will flow living and when Christ came, He died for our sins. He arose from the dead. He was glorified. He ascended to the Father. And He sent back the Holy Spirit on another Jewish festival day, the day of Pentecost. And the church was born. And the Spirit and the Word had been moving around the world ever since. To the east and to the west. To the uttermost part of the earth. We've got work to do. But thank God we've got water to drink to give us strength to do the job. Amen? Verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and His name one. And that name in English is Jesus. In Hebrew it's Yeshua. In Swahili it's Jesu. In Greek it's Jesus. In Spanish, it's Jesus. And Christ is king over all the earth. And he's not taken by surprise over all that's happening. If you think today is bad, study our nation's history. Good old days weren't so good. We have come through some stuff, and the king's not done bringing us through stuff. And as people... Reject God. God in His mercy allows all kinds of nonsense to take root in our culture. If you don't believe it, read Romans 1. It's being fulfilled in our day. The king is going to reign over all the earth, and he is reigning in the earth, and I want him to reign in this earth. And so here's the promise for today. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Are you thirsty this morning? Has what you've been drinking not been doing it for you? Are you dry? 
He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There's no punctuation in the original manuscripts. So the phrase, as the Scripture has said, could apply to he who believes in me, or it could apply to out of his heart will flow. If we believe in him, as the Scripture says, and as the Scripture says, out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. Zechariah 14 can be fulfilled in our hearts and lives. Jesus made that promise before it was fulfilled. He made the promise. Promises come first, and then later comes the fulfillment. And a year or so later, it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and the church was born. And the New Testament began to be written, inspired by that same Holy Spirit. And gifts were given. And the church was empowered. And the gospel is spread. And it's important for us to realize the Holy Spirit was sent for a purpose. Acts 1.8, to give us power to be His witnesses. Receive His power. And I believe receiving His power is not a one-time thing. It's a relationship. It's not an experience. It's a life of being filled with the Spirit. Paul wrote later, Don't be drunk with wine in which is waste, but be filled with the Spirit. And that word there, filled, is a continuing reality. Right now I have a little video to highlight three words in this verse for those who are thirsty. It's so simple. 